You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hi, everyone. I am doing this intro from my couch with my four dogs. So if you hear um, a little dog in the background, that's what's going on. But this intro is going to be really short. I am really excited for you to hear episode number 13 with my friend Steffi. We talk about her fertility journey and her fertility journey is really unique and I actually know that a lot of listeners will be able to relate to her form of infertility and um her her loss story it sadly it's so common that women have early miscarriages and a lot of times they don't really know how to feel about them and Steffi's story is just really powerful to me because it shows She really fought for herself and she really pushed through until she did get her rainbow baby. So if you're looking for an episode on recurrent pregnancy loss, IVF, and a journey that ends with a rainbow baby, definitely listen. We also get into some topics that don't, well, on surface, they don't seem to have to do with miscarriage, but we found that our mental health really had to do with miscarriage. Other things that we have in common are we are both an Enneagram 6, which means we're both overthinkers, generally anxious about everything, uh, very passionate, and we are both diagnosed with OCD. So we talk about our obsessive tendencies, how they played a part in our losses, in pregnancy after loss, in motherhood, and we get kind of deep. Like this is the most I've ever talked about OCD um, with anybody other than my therapist, I have shared my diagnosis on social media, but I've never actually shared the story of how I was diagnosed or what my triggers are or what a day-to-day with OCD kind of looks like. So I think Steffi and I just felt really comfortable with each other, so we both just kept talking and didn't stop. And so I hope that you feel like you are a friend in a conversation with us about a really, really difficult topic Um, And if you're struggling with OCD or question if you're struggling with OCD, there are resources and I will link to them in the show notes. Um, There are very few that I have found, but know that you aren't alone and know that OCD is much more than, you know, Monica on Friends and we will you know, get through it. I guess that's the best way to put it because honestly, it's really hard. Um, It's really hard to have OCD at all. And then you add in miscarriage and you hold on to what's gone wrong and you obsess over them. And well, I'm basically telling you the whole episode. So I'm going to let you get into it. And before we get into the show, I do want to share some really exciting news. If I was tech savvy enough to put in a drum roll, I would do that right now. Um, 
But I am super, super, super excited to announce that I am a finalist in Clubhouse's first creator or creator first program. I should get that right. Um, Out of 5,000 applicants, I am one of 60. I pitched them the idea of basically this podcast, but on Clubhouse. And if you don't know what Clubhouse is, it's an audio-only drop-in app. You can listen while you work, while you clean, have your headphones in. You can do other things on your phone. It's basically like a mixture of live radio and podcasts, but also like a phone call with your friends. It is the place to be right now it is so much healthier than instagram and it's just been where i've enjoyed having conversations a lot of you might have joined in on the conversations that i've had weekly with katie from undivining motherhood so it's on the same app um the show is going to be called loss and gain and it's going to be about normalizing talking about miscarriage and i'm going to have guests experts we're going to have segments going to be a lot of fun so here's what i need from you if you are an iphone user because um right now iphone users are the only ones on clubhouse which i know feels you know kind of like the last kid picked at dodgeball and i really hope that the android app comes out soon um if you have an iphone and can download the app i would love for you to find me and follow me and book it on your schedule to join in on my pilot episode, which is Friday, May 21st at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This is live. It's not recorded. Um, Attendance is really important in the judging if they are going to make this a show. And I'm, just to be really honest, I'm, I'm so hopeful that they do because having the support of a huge platform like Clubhouse to lift voices around miscarriage is amazing and I've seen with this podcast the difference that it can make and I'm only you know this is my 13th episode so I'm really hopeful that this becomes something on Clubhouse to where you'll have even more content for me it's completely free to you um you don't have to join in on the conversation you can just be a listener and um I will share more information as it gets closer, but I'm just really excited. If you're on my email list, you might have already seen this news. Um, Thank you for being on this ride with me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for just everything that you guys do for me. So let's get into the podcast episode. This is episode number 13 with Steffi. Just dive into it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So I'm trying to remember the point where we decided we were actually ready to grow our family because it was very sudden. We always knew we wanted kids, but then I'm pretty sure it was my birthday trip in September of 2018. So my birthday is August 31st, but we took a trip to Canada and we like talked about it a lot on that trip. And then pretty much when we came home from that trip, it was like, okay, like all bets are off. Let's just go for it. Um, and looking back, I mean, I'm sure everyone would say this, but we were very naive about, you know, family planning or like starting to try to conceive. I didn't know anything about, even as a nurse, I didn't really know about like ovulation strips or any of that stuff. Like we just were kind of like, all right, my IUD has been out for a while. It's just see what happens. Um, and so my first pregnancy was November of 2018. 
Um, and I peed on a stick the morning I was about to leave for work (laughs) and I got that positive line and it like gradually was getting more positive as I was getting ready for work. And I hadn't noticed that it was positive yet. Um, (laughs) anyway, so, and then I was like literally about to walk out the door and I was like, Evan, I think this is positive. And so we like freaked out and it was like panic and excitement and joy and all the things all at once. Um, and so my journey is very different from a lot of the women in the Instagram community where Arden, you and I met, where we did get pregnant without a whole lot of difficulty, which I just feel awful saying out loud even just because of some of the. But don't, because a lot of people I talk to on the podcast, like the podcast is about miscarriage and miscarriage doesn't always go with infertility hand in hand. And some people's infertility is caused by multiple miscarriages. So don't feel bad about that. That's part of your journey. That's what, yeah, you know, that's what makes your miscarriage journey, your journey and yes, what's caused your infertility. So, well, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I basically was like in work mode with this new information and I really wanted to call all of my friends and my parents, but I was like, okay, I just need to like not be that crazy person. So I went to work and I immediately told one of my coworkers <laughs> and I'll never forget. She like pulled me into a triage room and she was like, oh my God! she was so excited. Um, anyway, I could talk about that day forever. But one thing that strikes me about that day is that I remember, um, Arden, you've spoken openly about your journey with OCD a lot on your Instagram. Um, and I hope it's okay if I kind of tie that into what we talk about today. Just because that was one of the reasons I initially fell in love with your Instagram and started following along really closely is because I have been diagnosed with OCD for many years. And um, I will never forget that the first, that first pregnancy test, it was like a light switch flipped. And it was like my OCD had been mostly dormant. I mean, it's never fully gone, but you know, there are some days where it's a dull roar and there's some days where it's just like fully taking over your entire brain. And it was like, from the moment I knew I was pregnant, the OCD was just ramping up. And there's these railroad tracks that I drive over every day to get into the city to go to my hospital. And I remember going over them like kind of quickly, like 60 miles per hour in my SUV. And I remember my brain was like, that's going to make you miss Carrie. Like going over that bump is going to make you miscarry. And I had no reason to believe I would have miscarriages, like no reason to have a thought like that, but that's how OCD works, right? It just plays on your most subconscious fears. Um, And I think of that literally every time I go over that railroad track to this day, which I do pretty much anytime I go anywhere. (laughs) I think about that moment. Do you have a moment like that where you like first had that fear? Like that. Yes. Yeah. I have so many moments like that, but it's so interesting because, um, like OCD really, even if you're, even if you're medicated, even if you have coping mechanisms, like those, that thought still goes into your head. And something I learned about OCD is that it's not the thought itself. It's how often you think about it or how often you obsess about it. So like having that thought isn't the problem. It's if you let it completely ruin your day and like run your life. Um, Yes. For me, and it's not mine the uncommon for walks. No, no, and not at all. Um, yeah. My OCD trigger with miscarriage specifically was going for walks because my first miscarriage happened a few hours after I went on a walk. 
And so then I thought anytime, like I walked any distance, like, I mean, I freaked out, like I would take tiny steps. I would think um, any cramping after a walk. So that was like my big thing was I associated exercise in really any form, but mostly in the form of a walk um, with miscarriage. And I had no idea that that was OCD. <laughs> like I did not. Oh, you didn't know, know at the thing. time. I had been, I'm trying to think of when I was diagnosed. Um, I was diagnosed in early 2017 and my first miscarriage was 2018. So I had been diagnosed, but still to this day, like I'm still learning they, like ways that I react to things. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's my OCD. And like, yeah. even though I am medicated and even though I'm aware of it, I still have moments where I'm like, oh, I reacted that way because of OCD. And it's right. just, it's very interesting. Like I'm constantly learning new triggers. Yeah. And I guess it's true in that moment when I drove over the tracks and had that thought, it wasn't until the thought was ruminated on for many, many days. Right. <laughs> until I was like, okay, this is not, this is not normal. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and it was food too. It was a huge OCD thing for me with my first and second pregnancies, which I both lost. Um, and so I remember initially it was like, okay, I need to Google all the foods that I can and can't eat and what I should avoid. And, oh my gosh, is my prenatal vitamin adequate and all of those things. And anytime I would eat anything, it was like, I, I would eat like an egg on toast for breakfast most days. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, did I cook the egg enough? And I would just go back and put it in the pan again and recook the egg, recook the egg and like just all those fun things. I relate so hard. I went to a Mexican (laughs) restaurant and got shrimp fajitas and I swore that the shrimp was raw and I kept making them take it back. To keep cooking it. Cause I was pregnant at that point, like with Cameron, like this was, this was my, like my pregnancy with Cameron. I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm pregnant and I can't take any chances. And I was a monster. No, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure they didn't fully understand I told them, I told them, like, I almost told them my whole life story. I was like, look, I had two miscarriages. I'm technically infertile, but I did get pregnant. I'm pregnant (laughs) with my rainbow baby. And I'm afraid the shrimp is undercooked. Like I tell too much information whenever I'm like anxious. And are you an oversharer? Oh, have you seen my Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of just, I have like a thing for oversharers. I just love them. I just uh, for an example, not even to get totally off topic, I went to a coffee shop just the other day. It was last week. Um, I was in sweatpants. My hair was everywhere because my coffee maker broke or something. I can't remember. I couldn't eat coffee at home or I was out of half and half. And oh, no. um, that won't do. The lady <laughs> said, no, I know. The lady <laughs> said that she liked my outfit and my outfit was like leggings and a Hanes sweatshirt <laughs> that cost $5. So I feel like a normal girl would think that she was being like Regina George, like, oh my God, I love your bracelet. Where'd you get it? (laughs) But my first thought was to talk down to myself for getting a compliment. And I said, oh, thanks. I have postpartum hair regrowth. And it's like, why did I even say that? (laughs) Like, what is wrong with me? Like, I've just, she didn't even compliment my hair. I was like, thanks. I have postpartum hair regrowth. My hair's everywhere. What did she say? She said nothing. <laughs> so yeah, I would say I'm an overshare, especially when I'm uncomfortable. Well, for what it's worth, I don't think that your Instagram is oversharey in any kind of like, I don't know. I feel like that word has negative connotations. 
I think it does too. I think I used to overshare a lot more. Um, Now my boss. You share just the right amount. (laughs) Yeah. Now I share right the right amount. My boss follows me. Some people from work do, and that kind of steered me from oversharing the way I used to. I think. I get that. (laughs) But uh, anyway, I didn't mean to get you off topic. Um, No, no, I got you off topic. Your first, that was kind of your first like OCD trigger, or that was like the first time you associated an OCD trigger with pregnancy? Uh, yeah, like the, the tracks and the food and all that. Yes. Yeah. So those things, I mean, my, both of my first two pregnancies only lasted about six weeks. So they were very short and the entirety of those pregnancies was fraught with just constant OCD fear of losing the pregnancy. So it was like, just having a miscarriage was the worst thing that could have happened for my mental health. And I, I say that realizing that everyone could say that, (laughs) like, of course, everyone's worst fear when they're pregnant is losing that pregnancy, like, duh. But I do think OCD operates in a very particular way. Like if you don't, if you haven't experienced it, you don't understand, um, just how like torturous that rumination really is and how, if that thing that you are so terrified of does happen, that that OCD gets amplified tenfold. 100%. And I have to ask you with OCD and COVID, I have like the thought of if I let somebody like in my home and what if they brought COVID and what if my son got sick, I would never forgive them. And so I think about it like that to where I'm so obsessive to where like that has affected me in the pandemic so hard because I think if so that much. worst thing happens, I'll never forgive myself, even though I didn't directly harm my, my family, but yep. hundred oh, percent. It's so rough. It's so hard. And I always say OCD is 1000% the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. Harder than infertility loss, IVF, anything else I've endured is just amplified and worsened by OCD. I suffered with OCD as a young child. I remember what that felt like, not understanding the scary thoughts in my head and what they meant. So I, it's been a long journey. I mean, most people with obsessive compulsive disorder are not diagnosed until they're well into the adulthood. Um, They spend two thirds of their life sometimes (laughs) dealing with these things without getting treatment. So I'm grateful that I was able to get treatment you know, when I did and that I'm medicated and yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're medication. <laughs> How old were you whenever you were diagnosed? Um, so I wasn't like I'm pretty sure I like informally diagnosed myself before this, but it was in college when I saw like my first psychiatrist, I guess, who helped me understand that that's what was going on. But I think going into the appointment, I was like, that's what they're gonna say is going on here. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think, but I, I definitely didn't the first tie time it. I was diagnosed. What was that? I was 26. The first time I was diagnosed and I okay. had no, um, I had, I'm trying to think of how I, I think Carrie noticed that something wasn't right. Like it's, it's kind of like it was dormant for, I think I've always had it, Yeah. but it was dormant. And then it just, um, I actually, I know exactly like what sparked it, but it sounds ridiculous to say it out loud. Did you ever watch This Is Us or it's still on? So I have watched a few episodes and I know that really will disappoint like hardcore fans, but 
I didn't get I, into it's it. A, I haven't watched in like two seasons because I just can't take the emotional toll. Um, yes, yeah, same. There's an episode where their home is on fire mm-hmm. and that sparked something in me to where I was obsessed with, well, like what if my home catches on fire and all of my belongings burn? And I've had that so dark. It's as an OCD so thing. I yes. started like unplugging everything from the walls whenever I left the home. Um, I would take pictures to make sure that I unplugged things. And so Carrie yeah. noticed like, like that I was late leaving the house and that I was taking photos of outlets. And he said like, this isn't normal. Like something is going on here. Um, right. and so he actually had, he forced me to see a doctor and then oh, she mentioned job, OCD. Carrie. I know. I know he can get kudos for that, but um, <laughs> reluctantly throw him a bone um but then they mentioned OCD and I was like but I'm like kind of a messy person like that was my first thought was I don't have OCD I'm very messy because I always thought that OCD was like clean and that was my first lesson of that's not how OCD is for a lot of people yeah for sure like I definitely have the orderliness piece but it's not like the the primary thing. I mean, contamination OCD is huge for me. So COVID is a whole, we could do a whole separate episode on that girl. We won't even get oh, yeah. into it, <laughs> Yeah, um, but you. it will play a role in my story as we get further into it. So I guess yeah. <laughs> uh, stay tuned, <laughs> but I don't even remember where we left off. I think we were still on the OCD with food and um, the <laughs> Okay. So basically I was like two seconds pregnant as my doctor called it. You know, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I work with my doctor. So pretty much all the nurses on my floor go to the same doctor. Um, He's great. Everyone trusts him. It's a thing. So I went up to him like in between. I had his patient that day and I was like, guess who I just made an appointment with your office. And he was like, oh, no way. And so like I got my first ever beta HCG drawn. And he was, they basically were like, yeah, we just want it to be above 25 or something. Like, because he was like, cause you're literally like two seconds pregnant. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I remember the nurse called me and it was like 22, 23, I don't know, something in that range. And of course I was like, but that's not 25. And they were like, yeah, it's okay. Like you're super early. <laughs> Um, it's like no big deal. And like, we just will take another one in two days and make sure that it, you know, doubles appropriately. So two days later had it drawn and it went up to like 48. So it didn't quite double, but I remember thinking like, okay, who can I ask about this? Like who might've experienced this? And so I like texted a bunch of people who I knew that had children and several of them validated and said, oh yeah, my numbers didn't quite double. That doesn't matter. Like, that's just a very simple guideline, my doctor reassured me. He was like, you know, we'll just check another one. Um, <clears throat> and so I kept testing home pregnancy tests at home over and over again to make sure the lines were getting darker. They did get darker. And then like, I want to say a week later, so maybe I was like five weeks pregnant, the lines started to look the same. Like they didn't get start to get lighter yet, but they looked about the same. And then I was just like constantly comparing them. I had like 20 tests in a row, <laughs> like comparing the lines did you do this game too mm-hmm. the home pregnancy test you we're like game. the same person <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
And so I think my doctor's plan was to like to recheck another beta after like a week or two. Like he was like, there's no point in doing this every 48 hours. <laughs> like you'll just drive yourself insane. And I was like, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm not going to survive <laughs> a week of this. Um, so he like put the order in and left it in my hands. Um, and so I think I remember going for a walk with my husband. It was a weekend. And like, there's a lab near my house that's open on the weekend. We went for a walk and I just like the whole walk, I was like, I just know I'm losing the baby. Like I'm losing this baby. And everyone in my family told me I was just worrying. They were like, you always do this. You just freak yourself out. Everything's going to be fine. Blah, blah, blah. Everything's going to be great. And I was like, I think the tests might be getting lighter, but they're not getting darker. Everything online says like, there's this thing called the chemical pregnancy. I haven't even heard that phrase before. Um, and so. I just went into the lab that day and got it drawn. And they said that if I waited at the lab, I could get my result there. Wait a second. Am I messing this up? This was my second pregnancy that I went on the weekend. Yes. Okay. I got mixed up. This is why I made an outline earlier, Arden. I'm a hot mess. I did go to a lab on a weekend. That was my second pregnancy. This was, so the walk happened where I spoke to my husband. Now I'm remembering. Then I knew that I worked the next day, a Monday. And so I was like, I'll just get it drawn at work because you can have your fellow nurse draw your blood for you. And I was like, great, super convenient. Horrible idea, Arden. Horrible idea to get that beta drawn at work. I would take (laughs) advantage of that if I worked in that setting. Oh, but it was the worst idea because I was like, okay, doc, like, what do we want this number to be? And he's like, well, you know, it's been over a week. So there are calculators where... You know, it should be well, well above, you know, I don't know, 500, 700. Like, I don't remember the number he threw out to me. Um, So I was at work. I went to the lab to get the result. They handed me a slip of paper. My friend walked me up there. I was like shaking like a leaf. We went in the elevator. I opened it and it was 23. And I was like, I lost it. Like, yeah, fully panic attack lost it. I ran away from my friend. I was like, I don't want to be around anybody right now. I like booked it back to the unit. I was like sobbing. I ran to the break room, like 10 of my fellow nurses followed me. there. They were like wiping my tears and like just hugging me. They knew exactly what was going on because I am an oversharer about these things, especially at my job. When you're pregnant at my job, everybody knows it's labor right. and delivery. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially cause there's like certain assignments you can't take when you're pregnant. So um, so yeah, am I talking too much about this, uh, one no. situation? Cause I just realized Yay. we've been talking for a long time and I'm like two You're seconds totally into my, <laughs> two no, seconds totally into my story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just really, really awful that that news came to me at work, but when it happened, uh, when it happened that I had the chance to get it drawn at work, I, I couldn't wait another day. So I was like an hour away from ending my shift, but I just told my charge nurse I needed to leave and I left and I went home and I think I miscarried like a week later. So like around when I would have been six weeks. And then the new obsession, and maybe you understand this, was getting pregnant again. Oh yeah. <laughs> because not... <laughs> I don't know if that's a normal response to have immediately after miscarrying. I don't know how common that is, but I just needed to be pregnant again. I needed to know I could get pregnant again that second. 
I swear every woman that I talk to after miscarriage that they tell me like there's some women who are saying that they want to break, but majority of the women I talk to, they're like, all I think about is I have to get pregnant again, ASAP. And a lot of the reason is, and I felt this was I need to be pregnant on that due date because that'll make me less sad. Oh, like See, that's I didn't the even way think that I that. thought about. No. Yeah. I thought no. like whenever the due date comes, I need to have a baby that I know is coming because it'll make yeah. me less sad on that day. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. Oh, see. And I just wanted to, I think I thought it would take away my sadness. I don't know. Just to like, I was so, so sad. And I felt like it was weird that I was so sad because it was so early, which like you've talked about this a lot on your Instagram. So many people on our, in the Instagram lost community talk about this, but it doesn't matter when your loss was, it, it can be so, so devastating. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so it just, and it was right before Christmas because, um, yeah, cause I found out about the pregnancy in November and then lost the baby in December, like right at the beginning of December. I don't remember the exact dates, but I know that it was right before Christmas. And so it was like the worst Christmas ever. And so the obsession with trying to get pregnant again was real. Um, so my doctor was like, I would recommend just for your emotional health, waiting till you get a period. And I was like, but (laughs) what if I didn't, (laughs) uh, and we did not. So we literally, I ovulated like two weeks after I miscarried and we got pregnant again and it was insane. Uh, and Evans, my husband, Evans parents were in town staying at her house and they um I just couldn't not tell them because it was just so intense and they knew that we had just miscarried and I remember like telling them in the morning and it was just really awkward like just being like hi you're at my house and I just found out I'm pregnant again like (laughs) I don't know it was just so weird they live in South Dakota and they uh don't have the opportunity to visit very often um and they were going to the beach for like a day. They were just going to stay in like a family member's cabin on the beach in Oregon. So it's going to be like a long drive. And it was like really cold and windy because it was January. And my husband went alone. I was like, I can't do it. I'm too afraid. I'm like too afraid to go like sit in a car that long. I'm afraid to be out in the cold that long. Like I, I, I could lose the baby just from being cold. I could lose the baby from putting too many layers on and overheating. Like I, like there were so many things I didn't let myself do because I was so afraid of losing that baby. Like I pretty much just like did nothing <laughs> for the entire so hard to it. I put myself really? in pelvic rest mm-hmm. with your second pregnancy oh, with Cameron, with Cameron. Okay. Because yeah. at that point I was like, um, yeah, no, I associated everything with loss to where like I wouldn't, yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I, I'm pretty sure like the, then it's like the thick of flu season at my hospital. So I'm pregnant with the second baby and my like contamination OCD is like spiraling out of control. I don't want to go telling the entire unit that I'm pregnant, but I essentially do because I don't want to be assigned to a patient that has the flu because technically flu can post some intense risks in the first trimester, not super commonly. But like, I didn't want to risk getting a fever. I didn't want to risk anything because God forbid I get a cold or something. So like if my patient even like sniffled or coughed once, 
I was like, I need to go home. Like I was like, so not cool about it. I was probably like the worst employee to have at that moment. <laughs> but it's, it's justified because I mean, that's a, I think, well, I mean, I'm telling you this is somebody else who, even though I'm messy, like I don't let Carrie hand me food unless he washes his hand first. Or like if I saw yeah. him use hand sanitizer, like I'm very much afraid of contamination outside of the pandemic. So I totally yes. get it. So I guess me telling you that's valid says nothing because no, I'm it, on it, the same page. <laughs> I, it, it, validation in any form is helpful for me. So thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure like it was around that time that my husband was like, maybe you should talk to someone. <laughs> Like maybe you should consider getting some therapy because um, it's going to be a I'm really I'm also really hard. sorry for my dog drinking water. I actually I don't, don't hear it. Okay, good. Oh, now yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, I have four dogs and they're all lined up at the water bowl that's Aww. for some reason right next to me. So if you hear them, I'm really sorry. But just no, I had that's... to interrupt you to tell you that if you hear something licking, it's my dogs. It's your dogs. That's good because yeah. you never know what it would sound like through the airpods <clears throat> right my dogs are loud drinkers too um so yeah my husband was basically like maybe you should consider talking to someone it's been a it's going to be a long hard pregnancy if you're you know this terrified the whole time and um and so I kind of tabled that I wasn't ready I was not ready to like seek that out I didn't want to put myself in a therapist's office and risk exposure in that way and remember guys it's pre-pandemic this is all very <laughs> pre-covid this is 20 19. So um, you can imagine what a fun pregnancy that was. For me. <laughs> um, yeah, so same thing happened with my betas and where I messed up my story the first time. <laughs> I did go to that lab on the weekend, waited for the results. They said, you can wait if you want. It'll be like an hour and we'll hand you a slip of paper if you give us your ID and you can take it home. So waited, it was like the worst, longest hour of my life, picked up the piece of paper, took it to the car, opened it in the car. And this time I did not have a panicky crying reaction when my beta had dropped to, I don't remember what it was, like 12 or something. Um, Cause it was literally like the same thing. Like my beta did go up, my tests got darker, same story. They stopped getting darker and then they started getting lighter. And then my beta dropped um, around the six week mark five to six week mark. Um, but I was just angry. I was just pissed. <laughs> like I threw, I remember I threw my phone at the windshield and, um, yeah, I was just really pissed. So it just kind of all came crashing down after that. And I was like, this is never going to happen for me. I don't understand like what's wrong with me. Um, everything online said you had to have three or more miscarriages to be like worked up for recurrent miscarriage. So I was like, where does that put me? I can't do this again. Like, I didn't think it was my OCD. I just, I real, I mean, and I still don't know if it was, I just physically could not go through becoming pregnant again, getting those betas drawn, looking at the tests. Like I just couldn't do it. Right. So, um, I scheduled with my fertility doctor who did all of the things, all of the tests and, eventually got my diagnosis. Um, I feel like I'm like lingering a lot on this early part of the story. And this is about like no. life after miscarriage. So I should you're like totally wrap up fine. this section. No, no, no. <laughs> and you're totally fine. I'll probably make this like, um, 
So on Mondays, I do like the life after miscarriage series. And then Thursdays, it's like conversations about miscarriage. So I think I'm going to make it that because okay. I think this touches on so many different topics that it's really helpful. So I, you're doing great. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first podcast episode. So I think I'm like getting nervous and just like no, you're talking doing fine. too much. I promise. No, you're doing great. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know like what else you want to hear about beyond that like those two losses happened there's so much trauma wrapped up in them and then I found out that I had this diagnosis where I was very likely to continue having miscarriages if we try naturally so <clears throat> which for those of you listening who don't know is called balanced translocation it's a chromosomal abnormality where two of my chromosomes for me it's chromosomes 11 and 17 can be any two chromosomes for people um there are portions of those chromosomes that have swapped genetic material. For me, it's in a balanced way. So it doesn't affect me or um, like phenotypically. So it doesn't affect like in myself in any way that people could tell or me, my health, whatever. Um, the only way it affects me is when I scramble my DNA with another human and it's things can get so crazy. crazy. I don't think we're joining the online community. I ever heard that. And it's just yeah. so wild that like it doesn't affect you, like your human body, but it affects yeah. the human body that you create. Like that doesn't, that's just I know. wild. It's very crazy. And I remember before I got my diagnosis, I was reading this book by Dr. I hope I don't mess up her name. Dr. Laura Shaheen. Um, she Not has broken. an Instagram. Yes. <laughs> I recommend it to everybody because it's such a great book. Yes. That's what I was reading. And she's actually, she works at Pacific Northwest Fertility, which is in Seattle. So I could have seen Dr. Shaheen, but it was a bit of a drive for me. Uh, so anyway, I was reading her book and there was a section on balanced translocation. And I remember thinking, I bet that's what I have. Like it says it's super rare and weird and like they don't even routinely test for it. But I was, I remember before I got diagnosed with it, I had that weird thought. And so it was super crazy when I got that phone call from my reproductive endocrinologist, I had actually just landed on a plane in Philly to visit my best friend and my phone rang and it was him. And I was like, what's up doc? Like doctors don't call their patients. Right. How did you take the news whenever he told you that diagnosis? Because you had that inkling, like, were you just not shocked or it was still kind of I was, this is a weird answer. I was elated. I was so happy. I was like, yes, there's a reason. This was very, this was a weird, a very weird response that as the gravity of this diagnosis became evident to me, changed it changed a lot (laughs) my feelings about this diagnosis. But in the moment, I, this was the last test I was waiting on and to have an answer was everything to me because the weird way that my brain works was there was nothing wrong. We were just going to jump right back into trying. And that was terrifying to me. And this meant that I could put everything on hold because the second I got that diagnosis, I knew I wanted to do IVF and I could just wait because we needed to save the money. We needed to like plan all the things. And I just had like a great week with my best friend in Philly. And it was just like, so weird that I reacted that way. (laughs) And I remember telling my parents about it and they were like freaking out and like, so sad. And like, this is awful. And like, I'm so sorry. And 
And I was like, no, no, everything's going to be fine, guys. Like, I have a plan. It's going to be great. And I just had no idea how hard it was going to be. Yeah. How long from having that diagnosis to starting IVF? So let's see. I got my diagnosis in April. And then I did my first and only cycle of IVF in July. So it wasn't actually that long. Okay. And how did that cycle, um, if you don't mind sharing, like, um, what was the outcome of that cycle with embryos and and my language with IVF, even though I know a lot from being in the online community is really Mm -hmm. terrible because I haven't done IVF. So no, not at all. (laughs) Um, so yes, I did 10 days of stims as they call it in the community, but that's essentially the hormone injections that you give yourself. So 10 days is about like average or standard. So, um, nothing crazy there. And then I had my egg retrieval. And so we got 14 eggs, which I was very disappointed in because I had this number of 20 in my mind. I really wanted at least 20. Um, and everyone had kept t- telling me at the clinic, like, you know, the younger you start, the more eggs you're going to get, the better your chances. Um, so we got 14 eggs, 12 of them were mature, and then only seven of them fertilized. And so you get that fertilization number the next day. And then basically at my clinic, once you know the fertilization number, they don't tell you anything till six days later. I know some clinics will call you every day with an update, like, okay, you've got this many embryos still growing. Um, My clinic doesn't do that. And so six days I was in the dark and my nurse called me on the sixth day and said, okay, we're down to two. You have two embryos. All of the other seven that we fertilized have arrested. So that happens commonly with balanced translocation that the damage to the chromosomes doesn't even allow it to progress to that blastocyst stage where they can actually test and possibly implant the embryo. So that's what they suspect happened to my other five um, that they fertilized. So they had two and then they had to do the genetic testing to test for, to see if the translocation was unbalanced or like a normal set of chromosomes essentially, because what happens is with my condition, you get what's a lot of trisomies or monosomies that are not compatible with life. And so Juniper, my daughter was one of the embryos. And then the other one was a unbalanced, I think it was like a trisomy 17. Um, yeah, non-viable. And it was a male. And I always think about that. It's so I always crazy. think about how it was a, a boy. Oh, it was a boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's weird to know well, that. It's, it's sad, you know, knowing the um, the gender of an embryo, even if you don't meet the baby that the embryo could turn into. It's all very. Yeah. It's. I had a conversation with um, somebody earlier who I was tell, asking her how she answered the question, how many kids do you have? And she's like, well, if I were to answer that, honestly, because I think of my embryos as, as like, you know, children, like they're my DNA with my husband. She's like, then I would have like a whole football team of kids because she has like five on ice. And then she had three embryos that, um, didn't implant. And so it was just so interesting to hear that perspective. Cause I was like, that's how I think of life too. And it's, I would think if I knew the gender 
of embryos, even if they, um, if they arrested or if they weren't, you know, if, if they weren't embryos that we could use, I would feel the same. Right. Way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always think about that embryo. It's really weird to, it personalizes the embryo <laughs> to know the sex. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I think on Instagram, not long ago, we talked about this where, um, I asked you if like your grief changed with Junie here because you can see her and you can see what your children could have or should have looked like and you could you can hold what you've lost and it's so different I imagine with that boy embryo it's kind of like that yeah oh a hundred percent yeah like that's something I in never a million yeah like Junie is so healing to me and like everything that I ever dreamt of and at the same time she is such a reminder of like wow like just how fragile those first two pregnancies were and how, yeah. I don't know. No, it's I nuts. think it's the same exact thing. And then I also look at Cameron and I'm like, I can't believe that you grew and like lived. Right. Like, that's really hard to do in my body. <laughs> exactly. And like, and with my betas with her pregnancy, which we've talked about, um, they just were so terrible and <laughs> didn't even come close to doubling. And I think I had like a 40% rise initially and they want like bare minimum, they want to see a 60%, but they really want to see it double. Um, yeah. I remember you posting your beta hell and thinking like, oh, this doesn't look good. And, and like, yeah, I, you know, you were so open about it, which was so like as a like a follower on Instagram and somebody invested in your journey I'm like on the edge of my seat like what is gonna happen with this beta and then for everything to just like continue to be okay (laughs) was probably the craziest turn of events in anybody's journey I follow on Instagram did you feel nervous like moving on like in the pregnancy at all like I'm just curious as someone who followed along from the outside um no, like once you saw Junie's heartbeat and like things looked good, I never thought anything That's good. of it because I, I'm of the thought where betas, I think I focus on betas because of my OCD, but I don't think that betas make or break a pregnancy. Um, my doctor yeah. explained this to me once and I don't remember how he said it, but he said that it's not about the number it's as long as they rise in general, that's (laughs) like a good way to go. If they don't double, like it's concerning, but it's not. And ultrasound is the only way to confirm a miscarriage unless your numbers go down. And so I remember him telling me that. And I think we talked about this before I hit record, but like my first pregnancy, my numbers were really good. It was like my first number was 278, I think, if I'm remembering right, or something along the lines. My second number um, was like 1,200. Like it was – Oh, my gosh. It like tripled. Yeah, it tripled. And I remember thinking like this is it. Like this – betas aren't this good and then you don't end up with a baby. And then we miscarried. And then my second pregnancy was like 25 – or something. And then it was like 52. 
And I thought, well, you know, I had good betas and I miscarried. So maybe not great right. betas. I won't miscarry. <laughs> and then I miscarried. Oh, so What a mind. It, it is. But then with Cameron, I didn't focus on the numbers as much because I was like, this could go anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it was kind of a blessing to have two totally different numbers. And like yeah. you, where you have you know, your story of beta hell, where you can give people hope, even if their story doesn't end like yours, you give them like an inkling to hold on to, which is really nice. And I tell people all the time how my first pregnancy had really good numbers and I miscarried. And my second pregnancy had not great numbers and I miscarried, like just to show that these numbers really don't define the pregnancy at all. Yes, definitely. That's so important to put out there. And that's why I, I love being that sliver, that glimmer of hope for anyone I can. Um, Cause it is so scary. And it's, I mean, I remember I had a texting relationship with my fertility nurse and I remember texting her when I got my second beta, because that was probably the worst day of my life when I had that second beta with Junie and it was, it didn't rise appropriately. I was there with my husband and it was literally the worst day of my life. I was positive it was over. She was our only viable embryo. We knew we weren't equipped to do IVF again. So it was just done. Like in our mind, there was no hope. I texted my nurse and she was like, um, she said something like, holy shit, I feel sick. And I was like, oh, well, if she feels sick, then it's really over. <laughs> um, and I, I texted her like a week later. I was actually looking through the messages the other day in preparation for this conversation. And she was like, I said, just be real with me. Like, this doesn't pan out, right? Like this, this sort of thing doesn't really pan out. And she said, my gut doesn't feel good, but it's not over yet. So I she's like, like we honesty. just need to wait. Yeah. That's a good I did too. too. I needed that in a nurse because if she had just been like, you know, I don't know, stay positive. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I need a new nurse. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I, um, every nurse that I've ever had, they're like, well, I can't say if it's good or bad. And it's like, can you just tell me one thing? <laughs> like, Seriously. if it's bad, tell me it's bad. If it's maybe okay, tell me. Right. But I, I gut feeling is, is good to know about. Um, and so that was really like supportive of her, but have going into that pregnancy, having experienced beta hell in a different way, this was like way worse beta hell because there was, so, the stakes felt so high. You know, we knew this was a healthy embryo. We worked so hard to get her um, and we wanted it so badly. So, so, so badly. And so just kept going up slowly and didn't double to like the sixth, fifth or sixth beta, but then we got a heartbeat. So crazy. Just chose to trust that everything would work out and somehow I have a seven-month-old crying in the other room (laughs) (laughs) um with the um translocation what does that look like with um like with family planning or or preventing pregnancy like do you have to be more careful are you on birth control I know that's a very personal question but I'm just curious of how that works out because your infertility is different than, um, you know, some, some infertility that you see on the internet because yeah, you get pregnant, but that is your infertility. And it's, that's such a unique diagnosis that I wonder how right. you kind of navigate like <laughs> avoiding pregnancy because you kind of have to. 
Yes. So that is a great question. And I actually haven't talked about this on my Instagram. So uh, I, I'm like, my brain is spinning, like, do I want to share this? But I think I do. Well, you don't um, because, have to. You no, really no, I think I do. To. Because I think, I think it's something that people don't even realize or think of as an option when they have my diagnosis or um, consider. So I chose to have my tubes tied, actually, oh, really? when, I had, when I had my C-section with Junie. And that was not a decision I took lightly because I could get pregnant. I could have a healthy baby without intervention. That is 100% a possibility. I don't want to make it sound like it's not with my diagnosis, but knowing that with my translocation, I have about a somewhere, it's really hard to like quantify, but probably somewhere between like 75 to 85% chance of miscarrying every pregnancy that we have naturally, I just couldn't bear that burden. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't like live with that, especially with OCD. Like I didn't want to spend every cycle worrying. And yeah, I've been on just about every birth control under the sun. I was on the pill for like eight years. I had the arm implant. I did like, um, obviously I had my IUD. Um, and I just, didn't want to do all that. I feel so much more balanced and happy when I'm not on birth control. And so that was the decision I made. And it gave me a lot of freedom mentally to just not worry about it. And to, to say, if we have another child, it's going to be through IVF. Cause for those listening who don't know, you can still have a baby, um, without your tubes. You just, yeah. Requires intervention. No, I think that's really important. Thank you for sharing that because I never even, thought of that as an option, even though I guess like I've known that you can do that, but I never thought about that for your specific, um, situation. So that's really interesting. And it's more freeing to do that than to be on birth control for your entire adult life when you're on, I know I don't want to conceive naturally. I don't want to exactly like we just decided we didn't want to. Right. And with your IVF cycle, like having as many embryos as you did and then having seven fertilized and, you know, one be able to be tested and to be normal, that kind of shows you the high chances of miscarrying. Yeah, definitely. Like with those numbers, we didn't like at my age, we kind of expected to send like between five and 10 off for testing. And we only had two to send off for testing. And so that just told me, like, I just don't really want to gamble with this and worry. Even if I was on birth control, you know how it works with OCD brain. Like, I was going to be reading every symptom for the rest of my life. Just like, am I pregnant? And then if it doesn't end there, like, if you get pregnant when you have balanced translocation, you don't get confirmation that things are healthy and chromosomally normal slash viable until much later in the pregnancy, like well into right. the second trimester. Right. Cause, so. cause your baby can have something that's fatal, but that doesn't, you know, end in the first trimester. Exactly. It's less likely with my particular translocation, but it's still possible. Um, and you know, my mom always jokes, like my middle name should be unlikely, but possible <laughs> because <laughs> I have the outside of this whole fertility thing. I have a lot of random health struggles that are just super rare and weird. And so it's rare, but possible me. 
And those aren't related to your balance translocation or yeah, Mm -mm. balance translocation. No. (laughs) Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just a medical anomaly. I've literally sat in rooms with doctors before who will look at me or look at something I show them and be like, wow, I've never seen that before. (laughs) That would be also, that would be cool, but also very concerning that like even your doctor has no idea how to treat what's going on. I know I have, it's, it's these superficial, like weird Venus malformations that I have um, on my back. And I saw like a top dermatologist at university of Washington. And he was like, this is so beautiful. I've never seen this before. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can you tell me what's wrong with me apparently there's nothing wrong with me it's just just gonna be what it's gonna be well Steffi thank you for sharing your journey with me Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Miscarriage Doula podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast or any episode that you've heard so far, I would be so grateful if you would rate and review on Apple Podcasts as this helps others find our show. And if you're looking for ways to support the Miscarriage Doula podcast at no extra cost to you, you can shop some of our favorite brands, brands that you probably already love and shop at. Go to the miscarriagedoula.co slash support and you'll find a list of our affiliate links and some coupons that we offer. And whenever you shop through those links, again, no extra cost to you. We earn a small commission and that all goes back into the business. And I can't thank you enough for your support. Um, if you visit the miscarriagedoula.co, you can find information on free group sessions, um, paid programs, one-on-one sessions with me or digital goods that are all under $10 to download. Um, Yeah, thanks for being here. I'll see you guys next week.